Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stack Office of Career Development's podcast, After Class. I'm Katherine Cambria. Today, I will be speaking with a Stack student majoring in communication arts who has had incredible internship experiences. Not only are his current roles exciting, but they even help the community. Joining me here today is John Thompson. John, how are you? Catherine, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for having me. I know we had a little technical difficulties, but we're here. We're, we're good to go. Let's get going. We got it. <laughs> I feel like there's always technical difficulties, but we'll make it right through it. Um, yes. I know that you're a communication arts major. What do you hope to achieve specifically within this field? Well, I mean, I hope to go for sports broadcasting, specifically play-by-play, -play, as you mentioned in your introduction, which thank you for that introduction, by the way. Uh, I do a lot of it um, already. I do PA announcing for the RCC women's and men's basketball team. Of course, that's on hold um, with uh, due to COVID. Um, I also do separate from that. I um, do, uh, I'm the disability liaison, a program I created for the Rockland uh, Boulders, now New York Boulders, formerly of the Can-Am League as of 2018. Now we're transitioning to the Frontier League. Um, and I built that program with assistance from the organization from the ground up. And that's to better include the fan, the fan experience um, for people with disabilities. Because you go to so many of these independent minor league ballparks and they have disability sections, but they don't have actual activities for them to feel a part of the game experience. So yes, my ultimate dream is play-by-play -play for a baseball team. And I, I'm blessed and honored with the opportunities that the Boulders give me on a, a part-time on-air basis. But I try to make sure that I'm in every sports semester. I try to break uh, each semester up into, you know, the basketball semester, into the baseball semester. Of course, everybody, everybody who knows me knows I love each semester because of its different facets. And I think that when you work in sports, if you break yourself into different semesters, as I call them, or quarters, and not limit yourself to one facet, um, I think that that's perfect. Um, I currently also have my own personal YouTube channel, the JL Thompson YouTube channel. Actually, I will be uh, taping a show today. I'm using that as a tool to keep my voice out there because when you're a PA, when you want to be a PA or play-by-play play broadcaster, you don't want them to associate your face. You want them to associate your voice. So you want to put yourself in positions where leadership can be had, where you know you stay, where you stand out. You want to make sure that you do all this, but you want to make sure you do it with a lot of etiquette. You want to make sure you're well spoken. Of course, how are they going to let you behind a microphone if you're not well-spoken? And I also do uh, motivational speaking, uh, as I do have cerebral palsy. And I, I think it's critically important that I share my, my story of anxiety as well as, you know, the disability so that others can understand where, where I come from, you know, and where other people may be coming from. And I think in today's world, 2020, the other perspective is very important. For sure. And I love um, how all the work you do really supports the idea of inclusivity. That is incredibly authentic. And that's part of why I reached out to you, because I love that. 
And you also mentioned that you are the team historian, the disability liaison, which you touched on. And you also said that you work in clubhouse security for the New York Boulders. What do these roles entail? Well, they're probably saying, how does he do that? Well, here's how, here's how I do it. I have a very good, I have an autobiographical memory, which allows me to recall events that I'm involved in. So if I'm shown things, like let's say, not once, like maybe two, three, four times, I can remember how things should be positioned. So the fella that was supposed to uh, do it one day, couldn't do it because as an end, you don't just do one thing like you do for the Yankees or you do for the Mets or something like that. You have to be prepared to really take on two, three duties within one game day. So uh, the, fella says, the fella says to me, I don't care that you're in a wheelchair. I would like to see you try to do this. At first, everybody looked at him like he was crazy because I, I can't st stand up. But what I do is I position the interns because we, because if you picture a sidewalk, we are the only ballpark in the country to date that, that allows the fans every day pre and post game access to the players by having our clubhouses on the concourse. So it's very important to keep the fans and the um, and the players safe. Um, so I, there are uh, manual chains that we use. I position the people a couple steps in between each other so that uh, the safety of the players are not compromised, but also so that our fans can get um, autographs from the players. And I'm really, really happy. That never gets old um, because I get to see, you know, little kids, you know, getting their baseball sign. And I remember when, when I was that age and, you know, because of my disability, I couldn't make it to my first baseball game since I was 10 because until I was 10, because, my ears were sensitive to, to noise. So I really take very special pride in what, you know, in what that role is. As far as the disability uh, program, I take special pride in that because I make sure that the elderly people are accounted for, that the, um, you know, people with disabilities and in wheelchairs, we've assisted, we've hosted service dogs before that they're comfortable so that their game day experience can be what they make, what they want to make of it. I have people that just want to come to the game once a week just because they want to talk, just because they want to talk or just because they may be lonely at home. And it's a very rewarding job to see those people smile because you know that no offense to the Yankees and Mets and all those people, you know that it's very hard for some people to do certain things. So to be able to give people with disabilities that experience of a T-shirt instead of, you know, getting, getting it thrown to them, obviously they can't stand. So I, ro I roll around literally with five T-shirts a game and I um, make sure that um, everybody has T-shirts. I check on them every third inning, make sure they're doing well. And then about the seventh inning, I start planning my uh, disability role. Uh, team historian. I'm, you know, always, you know, I've been there since day one. So I remember everything that's happened. So my phone during baseball season is constantly ringing off the hook. 
because people, you know, want to want to check things or like if the team's on the road, I I have a group text and they, you know, they know uh, to uh, that something happened. When they hear from me, I'll put history alert. So really, my game duties are there. The reason I like that stuff and everything I do with the Boulders and Sean Riley, the team team president, and uh, all my supervisors, the assistant GM. Uh, Megan Champo, of course, Julie Trainer, all my supervisors, and these are set, these are people that have walked in as I've been there that have still continued to buy in. So it's it's very humbling to think that my duties have transcended management. You know, if you think about it, my first boss ten years ago was David Shankel. He he left and went uh, to work for a professional soccer team. Then I had Nick Bartolotto as a boss. Now I have. Now I have uh, Bob, Bobby Nodelman as a boss, who actually Bobby was an intern uh, and he was an intern under Nick. But what's impressive is that, you know, my duties and my niche per se continue to transcend these people. And ever since 2013, when the program was born, it has always reached new heights. And that's not because of me. That's not just because of what I do on game days. That's because of people buying into a system and a system of beliefs that you can show by how you act around the ballpark. Not by saying, woe's me and keeping my head down, but having a passion for baseball and having a passion for equal experience. And I'm incredibly proud to say that, you know, the fact that we hosted uh, service dogs is a, is a big thing because service dogs are more and more becoming the fabric of an independent lifestyle for persons with disabilities. And um, the fact that the boulders were, the boulders were able to host uh, them as well uh, shows our, our versatility and shows how accepting we, we are, you know, as far as we have, you know, uh, fans with disabilities that are season ticket holders now. And it, it's just a great honor to, to think that I started that and that different levels of management have kept it. For sure. And I also feel that since you are someone with cerebral palsy, you immediately see obstacles that may often be overlooked. And I think that, in my opinion, that makes you an especially effective disability liaison. What's an example of an obstacle that may be overlooked? And even to extend that question, What's an example of an obstacle that you think employers may overlook if they have workers with disabilities? Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take your second question first because I I never blame an employer for not for not having things set because how are they supposed to know? They're not supposed to they're not expected to know why why should we hold why should we as the person with disability with everything else that the employers have to do hold them responsible when they're the ones taking the chance with us hiring a person with a disability takes a special person with a disability yes it's got you got to be high functioning sometimes depending on the roles you have to be able to communicate but we as the people with disability have to advocate and there has to be two way of communication. So I don't think prospective employers are missing anything because I think in today's world, there's so much awareness and I think there's so much compassion and I wish there was, I wish there was more. And I think, I think you know what I'm referring to. I wish there was more acceptance 
of what we have. This is the hand we're dealt, and let's make it happen together. And I always say, there was a, a song, um, you know, that Bon Jovi did here during the pandemic, and he says, uh, a, a stranger is just a friend you haven't met yet. And if you go back to one of my favorite movies, Miracle, uh, the 1980s story about the USA hockey team, Herb Brooks says, great moments are born from great opportunity. And I use that a lot in my motivational speaking because every time a prospective employer doesn't know something, we as a person with a disability have the opportunity to educate by how we present our, ourselves. And I, I think that that's the most important thing. We are, we are put in this world to help others and to not, because so many people are intimidated by my wheelchair. You know, they ask me so many questions. Uh, oh, if I hit the elevator button, will I get your disease? Is your disease degenerative? You know, you know, no. Um, you know, so many questions, questions that, that, I wel that I welcome. And I'm also going to share something that's just my personal opinion. But typically, higher functioning people in wheelchairs, or at least I find for myself, I enjoy more being around, as I say, the able-bodied population because as you're learning from me, I'm learning from you guys how to behave socially, how to um, do, var do various things. And I see the strength in all, of, in all of you. I see the strength in all of you. I see the willingness. And then when I, when I think about my, dis my friends who had disabilities, you know, I have what's called a birth disability. So for me, I feel worse for the people who are paralyzed and for the people who knew what it was like to be disabled. Because think about that. Every day I gain something. In one fell swoop, they woke up one morning. Those poor people that get paralyzed in accidents. In, a, in one fell swoop, they, they lose everything and their life changes. Those are the people who are the real inspirations. I might be an inspiration because of how I talk or how I think, but they're the ones that face, face obstacles. And an obstacle for, for me that is definitely a, bi a big one is, you know, uh, parking, because parking is your first impression of a business. You have to make you have to make sure that you know there, there's there's a good there's a good bathroom there's a you know working elevator so you know I for example I never see them I never see them as being obstacles. What I tell the team at the at the uh, New York Boulders and what I tell everybody, let's work together to see how we can make this better. You know for for whoever it might be, you know and that's. That's how, that's how I look at it. So using the word obstacles, I think, gives off a different word in people's brains. It, it, makes, it makes it sound like a person doesn't want to do something. I realize that to do that, I have to get better first, you know. And by me getting better, it might be being more candid about my social mis, misfortunes or how, how I brought them on myself, or it might be more candid candor about my disability who, who knows but I don't know until I meet that person absolutely and like you touched upon I think it's important that not only are you bringing awareness 
to things that people with disabilities face, but that employers take that action as well in making those accommodations. And like you said, with parking and with different things, and I'm not sure if you mentioned this, because I know I watched a few of your YouTube videos to like learn more. Did you mention something about like a difference between like one type of doorknob and another type of doorknob and how that makes a huge difference for people with disabilities? Oh, oh, the doorknobs, the doorknobs, the, 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 ba the bathroom bars, because, and I don't know if you can see my hands in the Zoom camera, every disability is different. Some of us, myself included, have sensory issues. So we feel our nervous system is not the same as yours. So we may not feel pain. We might feel pain. We might pick up a feeling that you guys don't have. We might pick up pins and needles, you guys may not. So it's really important. And one of the things I wanna thank staff for is they, they really went through and they uh, made sure that there was, you know, bathroom bars that I, um, that I, I liked and, you know, and that I, I was comfortable with. It's very, it's very important uh, to, you know, make, make, sure, make sure that those accommodations are there. So, when when you're talking about when you're talking about the doorknobs those doorknobs that that crank that crank down those are easier because you can in my opinion this is going to sound funny i use my feet to push them open the ones that that are the spinning doorknobs the circular ones sometimes can be heavier because of the wood they use so it's very it's the doorknobs and the and the bathroom bars are very important and very critical. I'm very glad that you're the disability liaison with the New York Boulders because this may seem like such a little thing to people who don't have to um, deal with that disability, but for someone like yourself, this is something that you probably think about all the time. And it's clear that from what you say, like the way you speak about the New York Boulders, the organization means so much to you. And I can only imagine that like the relationships that you've built with the people, whether it's people on the team, people within the company, people that you've worked for, um, fellow interns at the time that you were an intern, that they've had an impact on you. Who are mentors for you within the organization? Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, we could be here till tomorrow. Um, I, first of all, I would almost insist that you talk to these people uh, before doing anything. Uh, definitely, I got to start with the president, who's like a father figure to me, and you can tell him I said that, Sean Riley. Um, literally, personally, professionally, teaching me about the game I love, teaching me about life, and when you grow, and you, you know, it's not an uncommon thing, but, you know, my parents, my parents are divorced, so sometimes, you know, having that extra ear of the male, male influence, you know, whether you're having a good day or a bad day to go in there and see Sean and really just see, you know, how much he cares and how much he wants to, you know, make this organization as great as it can be and how much he wants to just care about other people. And it just, it just makes you want to, it just makes you want to do so much more. Um, Megan Champo, our assistant GM. Unbelievable. She actually just wrote a book, Dodging Raindrops. You can actually get it on Amazon. I'm giving it a plug, a plug there. I really suggest you read it. Really suggest it. Um, and she's, she's just, she's unbelievable. Um, 
Bobby Norman, all my supervisors, you know, uh, back from Dave to Nick, now to Bobby, and, you know, Julie Trainer again, Megan, Julie, and Bobby, I remember when they were all interns, and now, you know, and now, you know, they're my supervisors, but they're, they're classy enough and comfortable enough in their own skin, and Sean creates such an atmosphere for every one of us to succeed that my baseball that my baseball experience you know is able to shine but also my my experience my inexperience as a person is a place where i can learn where i can learn within myself around the sport that i love you know to you know you know uh, be the best and then if you're talking that's just if you're talking about baseball if you're talking about basketball i mean PA announcing, I mean, the great Rich Leaf, the voice of my owner and the voice of the county center uh, gave me my first uh, PA shadowing opportunity. Um, I was able to shadow him and I do high school games and college games from time to time. Um, you know, I've, got, I've gotten the uh, privilege and honor to listen to Steve Balson, who I also work with at the Boulders. Steve Balson is uh, the play-by-play -play man for the um, Staff women's and men's basketball team, fantastic uh, uh, broadcaster. So I have different mentors in different sports, but and I'm I'm proud of each one of them in my in my own in my own way because they have done something something special for me. And uh, probably the most important mentor I would say is uh, the Boulders broadcaster Seth Cantor, um, North Rockland grad, local local guy, known him since day one of the organization. There isn't a classier individual behind the microphone. There isn't more, more of a gentleman broadcaster than him. And when I use the word gentleman, he's so objective when he calls the game. He's so, he's so fair to both teams. You know, you get a lot of, you get a lot of these broadcasters. I call them ham and eggers. You know, you know who they're, they're rooting for and you don't meet many professionals like Seth. So, you know, get, getting to be, in such an astute baseball organization with so many professionals, with so many great people, is just awesome. And even though you have so many current roles right now, you have had plenty of internship and work experiences leading up to what you currently do now. And a lot of those internship experiences were with the New York Boulders when they were the Rockland Boulders. And you also talked to me about how you did um, announcing for Rockland Community College because you were a transfer student from RCC. Can you describe like your internship and work experiences um, leading up to your current roles? Well, I mean, it, it was funny because I always, I always did have an affinity for PA announcing, um, you know, and there's always a saying, if you're a PA announcer or a play-by-play -play man, you should try to, to do whatever you can to get your voice recognized. And I, I, I think, I think that's one of the most important things here. And I think, you know, when things get back to normal, if you ever want to hear any of my motivational speeches as well, I, I'd be happy to happy to put that uh, together. But if you notice, all three phases that I go in are my voice. I brand myself on on the voice. So I was looking for a way to kind of you know break into basketball, and somebody came up to me and said they need a PA announcer for RCC. Now this is six years ago, so. You know, game number three against Westchester Community College, I take the microphone. I thought maybe it would just last one season, you know, maybe, you know. Well, 
I sit here now and with COVID putting everything on hold, I have called over 100 games in a row for the RCC women's or men's basketball team. And again, I could not be more thankful. Vinny Rotiliano, uh, Dan, Dan Keeley, who hired me, Ed Bajer, now my current boss, um, so many people at RCC that have kept the faith in me. And, you know, the, um, the, season, the seasonal things going on, it keeps, you, it keeps you motivated. It keeps you motivated that when baseball season is over, okay, you know, I have basketball coming in a few months. I have to get, I have to get prepped for that. So there's always something to work for. There's always something to strive for. And there's always something to, to be good at. And that's what I love. One question that I have for you is, I came across a really beautiful video of you at the New York Boulder Stadium. And you took a walk across the field. And if I recall correctly, at the end of that walk, you um, hugged the manager, Jamie Keith. What was that moment like for you? Could you bring us to that moment? Because I have to tell you, watching that alone, I wasn't even there and I didn't even know you at the time because I only met you this semester. Um, it was emotional just to watch it. So I, I, you're, cutting, you're cutting in and out, but I, th I think you asked, I think you oh, asked Oh, I can about, repeat it if you'd like. I, I, think, you, I think you asked about the... Um, the walk on the on the grass. Yes, I asked you about that moment and um, just watching that video where you crossed the field at the New York Boulders and you hugged manager Jamie Keith at the end was so emotional just for me to watch. So what was that moment like for you? I mean, I mean, look, J Jamie, Jamie was here um, from uh, for a long, a long time. He's now moved on to the High Point Rockers of the Atlantic League. He's doing doing great stuff over there. You know, our a uh, couple of our former employees went with him. Uh, we've now since had Kevin Baez and now TJ Stanton since then. But um, Jamie and I that day, I mean, I'll never forget. It was a Friday. They were doing a feature story on me, actually. So they went to go to talk to Jamie, and he he looks at me. He goes, because we'd always we'd always joked about you know me walking on the on the grass because I've never. I've never walked on grass. So, you know, we, all, we always joked about it. And so he comes into me and in no, no uncertain terms, he goes, so when are we going to get this walking thing done? I, lo I look at him as if he has 12 heads because, you know, the feature story people are there. I just ran into a 50-50 person that I hadn't seen for years. So, um, I was excited about that, trying to focus on the feature story, trying to focus on the, the big game we had that day. We were tied first place. There's going to be 5,000 strong in the ballpark. So I'm trying to do the best I can in all facets. And so he looks at my mom. He says, how about Sunday? Uh, I'm, like, I'm like, okay. So little do we know, he gathers the team for an impromptu ceremony that Sunday. And it was very emotional. There were a lot of, lot of tears. And I went on to um, take my first ever steps around the bases, which was a dream come true also with Jamie uh, in, tw in 2016 on August 6th. But getting back to that moment, feeling the grass under my feet was amazing uh, because you don't, 
you don't you don't realize how beautiful a baseball field is until you actually stand on one or until you actually can look up at the seats or look from the pitching mound and throw up a first pitch and see what the players see. You don't really gain a respect for how long of a of a run it is down to first base. I mean, 90 feet's a long way. So I immediately thought back to when I would when I would tell the fellas, you know, ah, you got to run harder. I the first thing I said to them, I will never yell at you for not running hard to first base after after this one. But it was it was it's a it's a moment I'll have forever. I was so touched, and I think the most special thing about that team is how how deeply they were invested in each other and it led uh, to us to making history that year we were the first ever team in in that league's history to come back from uh, down 0-2 in the best of seven series we came back here to Rockland for three straight days it was pouring rain we had to win all three games we did that we went back to New Jersey and we won the championship in six games it was a perfect ending it was my first my first cha- uh, championship in anything before that, I hadn't even won so much as a scratch off. So I, uh, it was, it was a pretty storybook year and one I'll never forget. That's amazing. And from my research, I also found that there's an award named after you with the New York Boulders, and it's called the Unsung Hero Award. Could you tell me about this award? Well, that one, that one was that one was a curveball. And let me start out by saying that was. Uh, former President Ken Laner's idea, if, if you read, read the story. And uh, so I'm usually very intense before games. I, you know, I'm fired up. I'm, I, by the time I get to the stadium, I've already looked at the pitching matchups. I've already looked at the lineup. I've, al- I've already seen, you know, who's in first place. I've watched film from the, the uh, previous game. I usually come home right right after and watch film and see how, you know, how we looked and listen to big plays, what could happen for the next day. Uh, my, I'm usually up uh, after a seven o'clock game. I'm usually up till maybe a little bit after midnight watching film. And then I'll continue watching it again the next day, just so I have a refresher. Then I promote stuff on my personal Facebook page for them. So on this particular day, they, and they usually tell me everything because I have to arrange transportation. On this particular day, I'm saying good afternoon because it's a five o'clock game that day. We knew we were going to the playoffs. So it was just in sports. Those are the kind of games where you don't want to get anybody hurt. So I'm just like, okay, fine. You know, let's go. And I see my mom there and my mom drives me to every game. She picks me up. I'm like, okay, that's weird. But maybe, you know, She's just coming to the game like she, she always does. I mean, I always love when she comes to the game. So I'm going to go through and everything. So I go up to uh, my the places where I go. And everybody kind of doesn't want to say anything to me. I'm like, wait a second. We have players awards. You know, what's what's wrong? And then, you know, I'm doing my pregame stuff. And uh, Megan Champo brings, brings me down to the field. I'm like... I'm like what's going on? She said, "Well, you're get, well. You'll see." And never did I think that there would be an award on that table that uh, would have my name next to the words "unsung hero." Aaron Wilson was the first uh, recipient, a unanimous recipient, I must uh, say. We didn't do the award last year because of COVID. And then we gave it to a very special employee who is having a very uh, rough battle with cancer, Drew Wall, 
and then we gave it to James Mullery in 2018, a pitcher. And it goes to the Boulders player that doesn't always necessarily do uh, the most in the statistics categories, but does the most to lead his team and help his team, you know, be the best. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of stats because, you know, I get, I get to see these guys work very hard, usually about a week or two uh, before. Now that I know, now that I know what what this award is, I, I didn't even I didn't even know. I actually went uh, to Sean after, and I said, oh, I said, I said, okay, now what does this mean? He goes, you just got an award named after you, and I'm like, okay. And then it never really started to hit me till after the season because I still had to work work through the playoffs, and I'm like, wait, I'm like, wait a second, that's a permanent award that's on the agenda now. And, and so I take very seriously bestowing that on, on anybody. I take a lot of advice from people in the the organization and we come to a collaborative decision because, you know, an unsung hero award is for somebody that you may not always see. And sometimes I don't always see, I mean, I always tell the players, you guys are, you fellows are around each other more than, that I'm around you guys. So if you think there's somebody, you know, you get in touch, you get in touch with me via, via the cell phone, uh, via however, and you, and you tell me whoever, and I have to say the, all three of them have been unanimous, which shows you something about how people feel about each other. That's incredible. And not only what the award is about, but I love, I was going to ask you, I love how you found out and it was a surprise and it was something that you didn't know about, which makes it even more special. Now I have they to were, ask. <laughs> they, were running from, they were running from me that day as if they, as if they had the top secret going on. I would go to ask a question. I would want my game notes or something. And they would, they looked at, they would look at me with a smile, with a smile, like they always do. But like, you could see nobody wanted to break the surprise, you know? But that's the best though. Like, I feel like surprises like that are like the absolute yes. best. And then when you look back on it, you're really happy that it was a surprise, oh, you know? Yeah. I look, I look back at the film now and I'm like, I was, and I still am shocked and honored to this day. Now, I have to ask you to conclude this interview because you mentioned that you're a motivational speaker. Um, If you could talk about like places and people to whom um, you have spoken. And also, if you wanted to conclude this interview with any advice that you have for someone who wants to be an agent for positive change in their community, just as you are. Oh, that's a that's a that's a that's a loaded question. And. uh, As I go. Uh, get ready to tape a, a YouTube show um, on my YouTube channel. I just want to give that information out first. It's the JL Thompson YouTube channel. You can connect with me on Facebook. I'm under John Thompson. You can also connect with my business Facebook page, All Things Sports and Life by John, by John Lee Thompson. Um, so that that's that's a couple of places you can get me. As as Catherine can explain, I've only been on uh, Stacks. I mean, I, I worked, I did work with this stack athletic program because my sports business and as I do with Dominican, you know, Joe, Joe Clinton and everybody, and everybody else there are fan, our fantastic athletic department at stack uh, starting at the top with um, 
Nicole uh, Ryan and uh, uh, Brad Sarno and everybody in athletic administration. But to get get back to your get back to your question, so I was only on campus for a grand total of four weeks because I just transferred in, and I will not be coming back to campus this spring until there is um, more um, uniformity amongst my doctors for um, a safe return for me back to COVID-19, back from COVID-19. Because my COVID symptoms, because of the numbness around my, around my body, specifically in my throat, I never feel a sore throat. My symptoms are different. So there's an extra layer of caution that has to be taken with COVID. So, so I'll let I'll let the I'll let the white coats and the doctors and the scientists discover that. But here's my but here's my motivational tool: is never believe that you can't do anything because my whole life, you know, I was they were that my mom was told uh, he'll you know he'll never walk. And then when my dad left the house when I was in kindergarten, ah, well, you know, you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. Look at me now. It took me six years to complete community college because um, of, you know, the fact of time, restrictions, health. It took me six years to complete community college. At least I did it. At least I finished. Nobody is looking at how quickly you've, you finished or nobody's looking at how quickly you fall they're looking to see how quickly you're going to get up and i'll be honest now i'm i'm guilty i'm guilty of my i'm guilty too socially because i wasn't brought up the same way way socially that you know the mainstream world was so actually right now i am going through some some mistakes and um as you and i have talked about off air yes there are some some troubles that that I have. Am I, am I perfect? No, no, I'm not. And if I was, and if there was some perfection, then life, life would be no, no fun. So I, so I encourage the people when I speak to them, and I hope one day to get a chance to speak um, to a, a stack audience in the, in the library amongst my fellow students, and I would love to answer questions um, in, in person, in person. Um, I would love to, I would love to, you know, ha be interviewed and I, I would love to just share my perspective about, you know, a lot more than what we have time for today because I have to go tape, tape my, uh, a show. Um, but I would encourage people to never judge themselves, but also to net to never stop listening because I'm going to open up to you for something. When you have a disability, and you ask a male or fem female with a disability, what is something that they remember about a friendship failure? They're always gonna tell you it's the ones with the opposite gender. You know why? Because those were the ones that they thought they knew about. And I'm facing something very real in, t in 2020. Before social distancing was a, was a term, people were social distancing themselves from me not, I thought because it was something with them, but it was because my attitude. So I went back and I went through with all my, with my counselor, with my speech people. I said, what do I need to do differently? 
And they said to me, they said to me, sir, it's about time you start listening. Listen to the body language cues. Start learning the body language cues. But interestingly, I never, I never cared because I only, because I only thought my, you know, my body language cues were really important. My stories. Everybody's story is important. And it's that level of acceptance, that level of help. You know, certainly I've never had some experiences, some I've chosen not to because, and some I'm, you know, um, not interested or ready for yet. And some I am ready for, and I, I ward it terribly. And then everybody goes and hides under the, uh, under the, under the counter because, you know, you know, you can obviously see that I, um, you know, I said something wrong. Like, for example, I, it took me 30 minutes just to get my voice up like this, um, to be, to be able to be in a free non-anxiety mindset. So what I would say is go be yourself, accept what other people say because there are so many times i get criticized oh why wouldn't you date disabled or why wouldn't you associate more with the disabled population because i'm my own person i have my own 206 bones and yeah you know my 206 bones may not work you know but you know if i need a handicapped parking spot and somebody's taking it yeah you know that other person if you don't have a disability yeah, you know, go to go to Macy's and walk it off. The you know the the, the disabled sections. Every disabled person is disabled in their own way. You can't umbrella the per. You can't umbrella the people, because if you umbrella the people, you've done everything wrong as a professional, and you've done ever and you've done everything wrong, and you've done a disservice to um to whatever profession or whatever social thing you're trying to accomplish. So I would just say, go into everything with an open mind, like, like it or not, and make sure that you're in it for the right reasons and that you have compassion and that you try to understand where the other person might be coming from. And that is my, my word of advice. And I hope I get the chance to speak to a live st stack audience just as soon as COVID's over or as soon as, you know, um, you know, maybe they can, uh, the docs can safely get me, get me back to campus, even if it's not for, you know, classes at this time, if it's just in a concentrated environment, socially distanced in the library, I am always open for questions. Um, and I'm honored, I'm honored that you had me t today on, on the show. John, I'm honored that you were on the show with me today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and the advice that you gave was so great, so authentic. The career experiences you've had are incredible. I'm sure they find way into your motivational speeches and every conversation I've had with you, the New York folders come up and I knew I just have to interview him about it. So thank you so much for your time today. Anytime, thank you so much. I am actually, I am actually going off to tape uh, my next YouTube show. I highly encourage that you talk to Sean and the, and the, those persons I mentioned at the, at the, at the, at the boulders, because without, without them, I am nothing. You can tell them I said that. Absolutely. Um, and, um, and thank you everyone for listening to our show today.